0: Hello and welcome to Double Take, the podcast from Newton Investment Management that tackles the investment implications of what's happening in society, technology, and the halls of power today and tomorrow. I'm Rafe Lewis, head of Newton's specialist research teams. And with me once again, and as always, is Newton investigative researcher Jack Encarnacio. Hey, Rafe. Hey, Jack. As always, folks, if you like what you're hearing on Double Take, subscribe to us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, maybe even leave a nice review. Let's get on with the show, shall we? On this episode, we continue talking about artificial intelligence. It's been the topic du jour on several of our recent uh, episodes, and this time it's largely revolving around the revolt we recently witnessed by users of the popular online forum Reddit against the idea of putting up paywalls around the Reddit forums that AI tools like ChatGPT leverage to understand a
1: subject and generate such instinctive and instructive answers. Yeah, these large language models, after all, they need to be trained on reams of examples of natural human discourse, and perhaps nowhere else does that type of discussion unfold more organically than on a Reddit thread or a subforum or a subreddit where posters who are passionate about a subject debate and explain nuanced topics. But I guess the question is, what happens when platforms like Reddit say, hold the phone? They say, wait a minute, you're going to have to pay to access everything that's going on in our platform. Uh, And and in order to train on our treasure trove of conversations, we need to have a conversation about uh, how much that costs.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think about it, a chat GPT, gets billions and billions of dollars from its parent company because it's really good at mining the information around the internet, and yet the information it mined was by and large just scraped for free, right? So that's what happened as Reddit rolled out a plan to charge a sizable premium to certain app developers to access its API, which is an application programming interface, by the way. So the API is essentially a virtual fire hose spitting out everything that happens on Reddit. And the decision to monetize access led to a revolt from users and developers who've long leveraged Reddit's API to create passion project applications and custom user experiences. They feel that charging for access like this pushes against the very spirit of the internet, and moderators blacked out several Reddit forums in protest. This meant when you Googled a question and a Reddit forum came up as the best place
1: to get your answer, well, guess what? You couldn't read it unless you were already subscribed to that forum. So, is AI pushing us into an era of pay-to-play, where models can't be trained on data that isn't expressly paid for or permissioned, even if the content is all generated for free? by users in the first place. Joining us to unpack all of this is Kelvin Lewin. He's a former deep learning instructor at the chip giant NVIDIA, who's lectured on AI empathy and ethics at the University of California. He's currently CEO of ALIN AI, which stands for Assistive Learning Intelligence Navigator. It's an online learning platform that leverages artificial intelligence. Kelvin, it's really a pleasure to have you on Double Take. Thanks for joining us.
2: I'm glad to be here.
1: First, Kelvin, can you just talk to us in terms of level setting about the idea of ground truth? This is a term that's very important to understanding how AI works and large language models work. Ground truth and what it means in the context of deep learning models like ChatGPT.
2: Well, the current AI really works off of example, right? The more examples it sees, the better it can recognize the patterns, how it works. So we call it supervised learning in some sense. That was the advent of deep learning in uh, t- 2012, kind of thing. So, ground truth is you're giving an example to this model and you say, here's what it is, here's what it means, you know. <laughs> and Reddit forum, an example is, okay, here's how humans talk, kind of thing. Then, AI over, term, over time learns that, oh, okay, if I have this word or if I have this sequence of words, the most likely word that's going to come is this. So, based on this ground truth and examples, This is what an AI learned to replicate, essentially. So in some sense, some people joke in our field that AI is actually dumb because the model is not doing much. (laughs) But now with massive compute and massive data, it's just able to replicate all these things so that in some ways, people in the field that are in AI for a long time, like 30, 40 years, are embarrassed by how well it works. But now we're at a seminal moment with that. large language models that it seems to work like a human. So that's where we're at. And that's what it means to have ground truth. It's basically the quality and examples that we're feeding to the model.
1: And to be clear, ground truth isn't a statement of this is accurate. It's a statement of this is representative of how humans talk and converse.
2: Exactly. Especially for language, because it's so loose, right? If you have something like image recognition and uh, classification, it's a lot more clear. Like this is a cat, this is a dog, no fuzziness. But For languages, it's more about examples of how humans work. And because it's not so great, you may have heard of like (laughs) reinforcement learning human feedback kind of things that people are using um, to basically make it tune better to how humans like to converse. So that's not exactly ground truth anymore, but it is more refined example of what would a real human sound like.
0: Yeah, when I, Kelvin, when I first heard that term ground truth, uh, my mind instantly went back to this old, uh, you know, The Onion, the uh, the satiric uh, humor site. Yeah. They had a great fake headline many years ago that said, factual error found on Internet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, we're uh, we're a long way from those days. But speaking of kind of the proto-Internet, so Jack and I are actually emigres of the newspaper business. And, you know, as they were making the transition from the printed business model to the digital business model, it was a painful transition because most of the Internet was free. There wasn't really such a thing as a paywall. And the question was whether those newspaper companies were going to be able to monetize this transition and actually have people paying. So, you know, now looking at what's happening with Reddit, looking at what's happening with some of the other sites like Twitter that are also messing around with their APIs, the question is, are we entering kind of a new era of pay to play where models can't be trained on data that isn't expressly paid for, even if the content is all generated for free by these kind of Reddit users and tweeters and people like that?
2: I think all these companies are surely trying to monetize on that, especially the content owners or the platform owners. But I think as you found from the newspaper, likelihood of human nature changing from not wanting to pay, especially when we know it's free and you know, using it as much as you can uh, before you're found out. So I think those dynamics will be in place. So I find it difficult. I think everybody's going to try to get paid, but whether or not they will get paid is an open question for me.
1: When it comes to paying for API access, help us think about the history here. Why haven't platforms always charged for access to their APIs?
2: Because every platform, I think, wanted to become an ecosystem. So you want to encourage developers, right? Um, there's a old meme about it old technology company that is all about developers, developers, developers. So I think somehow that mantra has gone into everybody's head that you need to have developer on your platform to become an ecosystem. It's the right intuition, but then that opens yourself for these kind of um, seminal moments now where it comes to head, where developers have different incentives, the platform owners have different incentives, but everybody's trying to make money. So then who gets to eat And then the ecosystem, even if it exists, whether it's healthy or not, because one predator is a little bit, you know, taking too much away from one source of food or whatever, taking that analogy further. And I think that's the situation we have now.
0: Very interesting. You know, as I look at this dynamic, I'm thinking about – I'm going to butcher this old term, but it was something like, you know, when you go on to a Facebook or a Twitter or one of these – if you don't know what the product is, you're the product, right? And so we are seeing this new era dawning of a lot of the social media sites, etc, are trying to now charge so that this content is paid for going in and then paid for going out. And I just saw a morning consult um, a survey that showed that a lot of people are still very reluctant to be paying uh, you know, for access and entry to a social media site. So do you think that on the B2B side, so the companies you know that want to buy or use this data, do you think they're going to end up paying? And how the heck do you even price something like this? What are the comparables?
2: I think it's hard to find the comparables because these are consumer companies, right? Consumer-facing companies using u- user-generated content. And then I guess you probably heard of the term attention economy. So we kind of, in the tech was always about growth and getting the users no matter what. And then there's money, investment money to pay for it. So you just get growth and growth hacking and all that. And then ultimately with attention economy, as you say, the user becomes the product and you're just selling attention and just getting the eyeballs and everything. So then going back to the enterprise model, I've always found that consumer products or consumer companies trying to pivot to an enterprise model is really difficult, even with my former employers and stuff like that, the kind of quality and the kind of mindset that you have in a consumer space and the amount of polish and the things that enterprises would require, there's usually a gap in the quality, especially software and the platform access quality. So I think even if they charge, they would have to do something with the how easy the APIs or stuff like that for the enterprises to play, uh, to pay to play kind of.
0: So just so I understand, and everyone listening understands, are you saying you're you're highly skeptical that companies like Reddit, like Twitter, et cetera, are going to actually have, uh, you know, in terms of their ability to to charge for this data? Is it? It sounds like you're saying this is going to be tough.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's hard to find like really successful company that did that transition well. And as you say, all of us know we've been primed to kind of think all of these as free products. So I think both consumer enterprises are going to loathe to pay unless they have no choice uh, and that they really created this moat that they can't, other enterprises can't get it or the quality of the data is so good. Like financial services firms where the value is there. Uh, but usually with user generated content, the value is not quite there. So yeah, I think it's tough.
1: Yeah. That is really how we're slicing this as user generated. You know, I think Kelvin back to your background, you know, in terms of coding and things, this is a little technical, but I think it's instructive, you know, when you think about the the, the whole ethos of um, open source coding, right? This idea that there's coding that anybody can access, um, that that was created and given to the community uh, to, to to improve upon. Uh, that's how, that that same kind of code can be leveraged by the tools we might use at our desktop. You know, if somebody who doesn't really know how to write code um, in in a deep and really complex way is using kind of like an AI-assisted coding process where they do half the code and the rest of it spit out for them suggestively. Think like an email. If you're typing an email, it'll sort of suggest the next phrase you want to use. Further to code, but the thing about code is, right, Kelvin, It's a lot of it was developed with this sort of like implied bargain where there's an open source license that kind of governs the way you agree to use this code that's available to everybody. But if you can just train an enterprise tool that people pay for on that same public code, that, that individual user isn't in a position to say, yes, I agree to all the terms of the open source license before I take this next suggestion that it gives me. Uh, what of that? Is, is coding a big part of this, considering its public nature and its sort of mission to be, you know, nonprofit?
2: I think generally it's a very inherent problem in our tech field because all of us want to help the world and, you know, contribute to the world. So open source sounds good on paper. But then when you actually have these monetization and business model pressures, what we usually have seen is, too, that open source projects themselves, if they're not supported by some profit-making entity, they tend to die off. So that's the inherent historical sort of problem that we had overall. And then now to sort of break that logjam, kind of this free-to-use-but-not-for-commercial-use kind of differences, legal phrasing that people try to have in order to have these business models. So then now that's coming to a head now with these code that, you know, it's there, you can use it as an example, and then is this really a new contribution? But in software generally, I've always found that IP and patent laws and things like that in software to be way harder than hardware because it's fuzzy because most of us use the same algorithm and the same way of coding. So, most of the time, are you really copying or is it just the same pattern, thought pattern that you're projecting, right? Whereas with uh, AI Copilot and things like that, you can probably point to a source code that it's really pulling from. So, the causality can be proved a little bit more, I guess. But in terms of what does it mean to actually write original code versus just using copy and paste from Stack Overflow, it's a joke that we have in computer science is that, you know, your main skill is how to copy and paste from stack overflow. Yeah. But the real skill is do you know which one to copy and paste?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I know you've spent some time uh, working on AI challenges in China, Kelvin, and I wonder if you could give us maybe more of an international perspective here. Uh, are, Are the Chinese running into similar issues around training models on proprietary data or is the structure in that country so much different that it's not as much of a talking point as it might be here in the States in the West?
2: So the Chinese, um, they have a lot more looser ideas or values around privacy and their big platforms tend to own a lot of the stuff that the whole ecosystem, like they have super apps, right? So the Chinese were actually quite ahead in the AI in terms of personalization because they actually use the real chat log. So it's not hard to predict someone's behavior when you know what they're saying in the chat log. So. You know, it's good and bad. I mean, we, I'm laughing about it, but it's a real concern. So the way they think about it, the way they approach it, the way that they see this technology playing out is very, very different. I I didn't appreciate how much bifurcation there is in the Western way of thinking that U.S. is leading versus the China way of thinking and then the whole sort of self-sufficient ecosystem that China was able to create. So when I visited 2019 for work a few times, and then working with Chinese colleagues, I, I think it's very very different, and I think with those differences in attitudes are going to impact, or it's impacting the AI race already.
0: Well, it's funny you bring up the bifurcation between kind of the West and China, because even in the West, we're seeing some bifurcation. The United States appears to likely be taking a different approach to regulating AI than uh, the European Union is, and they've proposed some regulations. Uh, You know, they want these large language models uh, to make public a summary of what content the models are actually trained on. And so I guess what we were wondering is to what extent is it important that these large language models keep the source of their training secret to maintain the business model?
2: Most of the value is in the data, right? Nobody would give away the data if they can help it. That's why they publish the models. we, We also like to joke that dirty little secret is if it's so valuable, they wouldn't be publishing it, right? So it's in the data. And I think Europe, when they were leading with GDPR and stuff like that, was good instinct. But for me, it's a wrong intuition, especially for the current AI models that are based on just uh, data recognition and pattern recognition, because it's a black box. We all know it's a black box because there's no feedback inside, inside of it to know right or wrong. It just doing this prediction. And that's why you get all these problems with hallucination and stuff like that, which are fundamentally hard to solve. So even if you keep track of where the source of the data and stuff like that come from, we have no idea how the model chose to model it yourself. This is really different from machine learning in general. Uh, You guys being from the investment and financial background may know that machine learning was using feature engineering and those more manual human engineering approaches to do the financial technology and things like that. But then deep learning is different, right? We just throw the data at it and the model does what it does. We don't know how it's working. So for me, it's like, well, if I figure out observable behavior and tell you all the ins and outs of everything going to the model, but the model itself is a black box, then eh, all bets are off anyway.
0: Kelvin, it sounded like at first when you were answering there, it sounded like you were saying that the data is where the value is and the models, you know, they even just publish them. So how how special can that be? And yet you're also saying it's really a black box, how the data goes in and then comes out into this magical form that, you know, what it's generating is really incredibly valuable to society, whether it is code, whether it is a haiku, whatever it might be, a song. Um, so how do we reconcile these things? Is it is it what happens inside the model that's kind of magical and, and black magic inside? Or is it the data?
2: The model quality of course differs, but the model quality is dependent on the data you feed it. Even maybe the and that's why it's data science, right? And data engineering. So and that's why you see the different qualities from most of the large language models that all the tech companies are producing, fundamentally they're based on Transformer. It's the same technology. But in terms of how well one works versus the other, is the type of data and the training and the hand holding that those um engineers are doing to do that. So what we mean is that fundamental untrained model or even the train weights, when people publish it, you, you get what you you see what you get and you get what you see, right? But, in, but only from the outside. It's The secret sauce is in data and how you wrangle it through the whole model.
1: The data, Not only the, the nature of the data and where it comes from, but what you do with it is what you're saying. Both. What yeah. it is and yeah. what you do with it.
2: Yeah. How okay. you segment it. Right. So know. when
1: you say it's about the data, you mean it's about what you do with the data as well as where the data comes from.
2: And the quality of the data, right? So um, it's not just a numbers game, but the quality.
1: So to what degree, Kelvin, is it important for, let's just, you know, since this is the most popular example, ChatGPT, the way you assess the landscape, how important is it for ChatGPT to keep somewhat secret where it's getting all the data it was trained on?
2: Uh, I don't think it's uh, important to keep it secret, but if they publish exactly the whole recipe, then everyone else can just replicate, right? For the difference between ChatGPT 3, 3 3.5, and 4 is all the sort of fine tuning that they did and all the nuance that they did that gives this spectacular, seemingly overnight success versus three, right? So that secret recipe, they're not. So for example, chat, uh, chat GPT, GPT four, they're, as far as I know, they haven't published the, even the model size, how big it is. But they're certainly not publishing the weights and things like that. So at that point, they probably feel like, uh, to your point earlier, maybe they feel like this is probably, um, uh, the model itself is valuable, so they're keeping that secret.
0: You know, it's funny that the the, uh, the corollary to what Jack and I do in the financial realm is pretty evident to me because you have the same stocks in the New York stock exchange or the NASDAQ, and it all comes down to which portfolio managers are going to buy how much of this and go underweight that. And the magic that gets spit out is taking the same kind of commodity data in and making more value out of it than the next person down the street. So, you know, how do we as investors, I guess, pick, the horses to bet on here like how how are you evaluating who has the best you know black box to to spit out the most useful generative uh ai uh, you know content
2: well there's a little bit of a philosophical fight if i may and you may we're we talking about open <laughs> what we're we talking about open source and things like that right mm-hmm. in general decentralization was like the ethos of technology in Silicon Valley in general, right? That's why you get the uh, Bitcoin and blockchain and all those decentralization kind of things. And then there was a joke that how come for all the talks about decentralization, everybody was happy with over a hundred million users going and uh, relying on one company's API, ChatGPT overnight. <laughs> so right. there's this sort of, Centralization versus decentralization. But the problem, as you guys know in investment firm, it's it's kind of like winner take all dynamic. So the network effect and all of those things are in play where, where everybody's trying to figure out. I think you have to first have to decide the next phase. Do you think decentralization will win? Kind of like open source and all those things or centralization will win? Whether it's a state actor or a corporation it doesn't matter, but some sort of entity that's centralized, centralized decision-making. And I would argue AI is actually a trend towards more centralization because you have all this data, um, sensory capacity, compute and pattern recognition capacity. So that can you make centralized decision-making probably. So I think you have to look at it though. So first is what do you think is going to win out the kind of compute model? And these things tend to go in waves the one winner is usually not the winner for the next wave so getting that phase right in terms of what's going to be the next winner and then if it's centralization the question is who's going to win at this point it seems pretty clear that uh, open ai has a really big start and just like search engines from before m- you know people maybe due to inertia or whatever will just keep using that that one winner so that's how i would think about it it's uh it's more of a there's an underlying bigger arms race going on with what is the right model to get it out to the people.
1: Fascinating stuff, Kelvin. So, so let's close with this um, because what we did see as we talked about in the Reddit revolt, if we can coin a phrase, is I think um, people who moderate um, forums on Reddit for free, people who post there uh, for free just for the sake of you know coming together around a common interest and ensuring accuracy or just having fun commenting on stuff. They sort of were making the case, I think, or trying to make the point that if they just stopped uh, making available to the wide world all that was going on in the platform by virtue of their ability to you know, make forums private and things like that, that it would fundamentally harm the, the degree of interest there would be in going on to a platform like that, using a platform like that. And as we know in the attention economy, like you said, attention economy – Uh, these platforms need to be as alive as possible, constantly taking new input. People have to feel like it's the place to go to post and respond to thoughts and questions and queries. So what do you take away from what we saw here with Reddit? Is it true that if users say no more free content for you, that the value of that API, even if you try to charge for it, goes down? Or over time, does it revert back and, and you can see why Reddit was taking the gamble it was taking?
2: Yeah, I can see all the stock stakeholders and what they're thinking is here. I think based on what I said about decentralization and centralization, we can even use Reddit as an example to think about it, right? Yeah. You can see that there's all these decentralization approaches like Reddit alternatives that are people are talking about it now. But the network effect is clearly not there. Hosting your own and things like that, um, pe- people are just not that interested because of this network dynamic. So, But that's a very extreme decentralization preference that a lot of people would have, right? We have all these platforms trying to decentralize, hosting your own servers. But now let's say we have this Reddit model. It has a decentralized model in terms of the users, the content, the moderators, right? Even the product and how, what is keeping people interested and keep this attention economy going for Reddit. But then from the company point of view, especially when they're trying to monetize it or really prop up the value, then it become like centralized, right? The CEO is making the decisions on the APIs and, and trying to limit the behavior. I think it's helpful and things like that. But then the users are like, but I thought we own this platform, right? It's a decentralized mindset. It's like, oh, I thought this is a place for us because they don't have to care about making money and making profitable and things like that. But the CEO and the centralized, the corporate entity do, so I see it as, again, the, the fight between the two modes of thinking. But if you somehow gather the users using a decentralized sort of incentive users first mentality, then to do this pivot now, I think it, if the most likely outcome is going to be more fractured and it's not going to be growing. It's what I see. But eventually, the protests, <laughs> based on my experience with politics back from my home country and things like that, Protests can only go on for so long before the new normal sets in. So the platform and the company will probably win, but it's not. and But it probably won't be as vibrant of a community.
0: Kelvin, what's your home country,
2: by the way? Uh, Myanmar, Burma. Okay, got it. Yep. Yep, I can see why I'd say that.
1: So well, let's put it this way for our listeners as as we as we wrap up our discussion, because in talking offline with you, Kelvin, I thought you made a really interesting point when you think about how these platforms we assume to be free for so long actually funded themselves. And it's advertising, right? If you can get enough people to contribute and post and be glued to the platform for free and contribute and create content for free, then you can sell ads against that attention and that's where the money is made. The old network effect again. There Absolutely. You go. But but you you and you know developing your own products have kind of struggled with, but I don't want to be advertiser funded. I, I don't want to be an advertising platform. I don't want to rely on the fact that I created this cool software tool and the only way it makes any money is if I can populate an ad. You said, everyone strives to be better in tech, but eventually resorts to advertising, which is not going to work in an AI era, so we are at a critical juncture. So to close us off, can you expound on what you mean by that?
2: I think we're, I mean, to not so sound so profound and things like that, but I think we are at a critical juncture of humanity in some ways, like what it means to be human what can humans do? What can technology or AI or robots can do? All this sort of stuff that was in the realm of philosophy and religion kind of entering the public discourse. I think ChatGPT was a watershed moment for that. You really have to reflect that. So then when we think about it, this network dynamic, the sucking in, the attention, and things like that. When you become the product, the humans become the product. And we know the kind of things that we would create and the kind of incentives that we've drove driven and gotten to this point. I think it's worth pausing and thinking, is that the future we want or is that? And remember, AI only learns from the example we give it. And I think that's where a lot of the existential angst is coming from, from creators, from OpenAI, CEO of um, OpenAI and things like that, where we're like, oh, well, if I really know my mind and the kind of things that human mind or even me is able to create, it's probably not gonna be good if that's what AI learn and realize, oh, you know, what's the fastest way and, you know, you get all these dystopian outcomes, right? So I think it's really a prime opportunity though because I do think that everybody can see that AI is gonna be really disruptive way more than internet was, like what we said earlier about the newspaper and stuff like that. I think those are really small. This is like internet e-commerce on steroids with AI. It's gonna be pervasive. So, So then for people like me who really think about this stuff, with AI empathy and ethics, we think, okay, even if I'm the winner, would I be proud of the product and the company that got me there? If, if I'm using attention and make people into products, then that doesn't seem to be the outcome that we all want. So that's what I mean. It's in a sense, but the prevailing message for the past decades has been just get users and then you'll figure out a way to monetize. But eventually, as I told you privately, it all seems to be advertising intention economy because that's the easiest default. But I don't think we can afford that anymore. So then we have to really think, what is the value I'm offering to which demographic? Am I willing to take money from that people? But also the open source and free also doesn't work because you have to have a sustainable business model, especially... Speaking to investors, I'm sure you right, right. resonate with that, right? The world runs on money, and I think there's certain ideal people who also go to the other extremes. Like, oh, abundant economy, we can just make... No, like, if you don't do the hard work of really thinking through what is the, all the logical things in that AI-infused future, do we all want to become zombies and things like that? I don't think so. I think most people wouldn't want to be, but the way that it's going, if we don't fight it now, that seems to be... The clear winner where we, we end up in some sort of dysopia. But I think we still have a chance to change that narrative and that trajectory.
0: Well, Kelvin Lewin, CEO of Alin AI, I'm just going to say that I'm much happier with having you, human guest, come on than uh, one of our recent guests, which was, in fact, ChatGPT. You did a great job. Thank you so much. We learned a ton here on Double Take.
2: Thank you.
3: This is a financial promotion for institutional clients only issued by Newton Investment Management North America LLC, NIMNA, or the firm. NIMNA is a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, and subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, BNY Mellon. The firm was established in 2021, comprised of equity and multi-asset teams from an affiliate Mellon Investments Corporation. The firm is part of the group of affiliated companies that individually or collectively provide investment advisory services under the brand Newton or Newton Investment Management. Newton currently includes NIMNA and Newton Investment Management Limited, NIM, and Newton Investment Management Japan Limited, NIMJ. Any statements of opinion constitute only current opinions of Nimna, which are subject to change and which Nimna does not undertake to update. This publication or any portion thereof may not be copied or distributed without prior written approval from the firm. Statements are correct as of the date of material only. This document may not be used for the purpose of an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction or in any circumstances in which such offer or solicitation is unlawful or not authorized. The information in this publication is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security. Some information contained herein has been obtained from third-party sources that are believed to be reliable, but the information has not been independently verified by Nimna. Nimna makes no representations as to the accuracy or the completeness of such information. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market environment, and past performance is no indication of future performance. ESG analysis refers to a range of internal and external qualitative and quantitative research. Newton manages a variety of strategies. Whether and how ESG considerations are assessed or integrated into Newton's strategies depends on the asset classes and or the particular strategy involved, as well as the research and investment approach of each Newton firm. ESG may not be considered for each individual investment, and where ESG is considered, other attributes of an investment may outweigh ESG considerations when making investment decisions. Analysis of themes may vary depending on the type of security, investment rationale, and investment strategy. Newton will make investment decisions that are not based on themes and may conclude that other attributes of an investment outweigh the thematic structure the security has been assigned to. If distributed in the UK, EMEA, Australia, New Zealand, this podcast is issued by Newton Limited and may be deemed a financial promotion. Newton Limited is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, 12 Endeavor Square, London, E20, 1JN, in the conduct of investment business. Registered in England, number 01371973. NIM is also registered as as investment advisors with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, to offer investment advisory services in the United States. If distributed in Canada, this podcast is issued by either Newton Limited, which is availing itself of the International Advisor Exemption, IAE, in the following Canadian provinces, provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec. The IAE is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, Exemptions, and Ongoing Registrant Obligations. Or NIMNA, which is availing itself of the IAE in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, and Manitoba. The IAE is in compliance with the National Instrument 31-103 registration requirements, exemptions, and ongoing registrant obligations.